Hi, I'm David Goforth, pastor at Grace Baptist Church. So glad that you're taking the time to listen to this podcast. And I want to let you know we're here to help you. If you have any questions, please visit our website, gbcwc.org, and contact us. We'd love to help. We are studying here on Sunday nights how to tell if you are growing spiritually. We have a number of new babies in our family. All of the uh, kids, all of the nieces and nephews are at that age where uh, they are, are having children, and so it's exciting when we get together uh, as a family, seeing all the different stages that they're in and the different things that they, are, that they are doing and talking about this. And it takes me back to the days when we were having kids, it seemed like, every uh, other month, and they kept showing up. And as they were growing, and it was uh, trying, to, trying to keep up with when are they supposed to be crawling, when are they supposed to be walking, are they old enough to do this? And it seems like the first one takes forever to get to a certain spot, and then before you know it, the third one is, uh, is being brought to your front door by a total stranger because she's wandered out to the street. And uh, maybe that just happened in my family. Maybe that never happened in your family, but that is a true story. Had a doorbell ring. Didn't even know Bailey had gotten outside of the house. And uh, there was a lady standing there. She was very upset. Said, this small child was down by the road. Are you watching her? And I just said, well, it's her turn to get the mail. So that she was supposed to be down there. Uh, she did not appreciate that, uh, that excuse for that. But we, we know when we look at our children what stage basically they should be in. We understand if we send them to school what they're going to be learning about in first grade, in fourth grade, in sixth grade, in eighth grade. We realize that there is a progression there. But when you stop and you ask somebody, do you know that you're a Christian? A lot of people can answer that right away. And they can say, yes, I, I know, I believe, I understand that I'm a Christian. But if you ask them, are you growing? I think most people would answer to the positive, yes, I believe I am growing, but the truth is, is many Christians don't actually know how to look to see if they are growing. And so we've been looking at some of the things outlined in the book uh, that uh, we've mentioned many, many times before from uh, Donald Whitney, the 10 questions to diagnose your spiritual health, just basically a self-check to look at to say, hey, you know, what, what is the, the thing that we can learn from? What is it that we can gather from this that we can understand whether or not if we are progressing in our own spiritual walk? Well, we've looked at a couple of things. Am I more ruled? Am I more governed by God's word? Am I a quicker forgiver? Am I growing in the skill of forgiving? Am I better at forgiving now at this stage of my life than I was last month, last year, last decade? Does God's word have a greater impact in my thinking and, and in my, in my decision-making in my life? It is, is it really a vital aspect? Is it becoming more so that way? Well, tonight's question, we want to look at one thing that should be true of a Christian. And this is something that you can't say that God's word has said that this is true if you are a growing Christian. But you can see it in the Apostle Paul's life. And that is the basic question, am I more grieved over sin? If you look at the Apostle Paul's life. The Apostle Paul, when he came to salvation, initially he was very, very much held at arm's length by the early church because he was the one that was persecuting them. And then as Paul began to grow and began to preach and he began to be accepted and he came into the church, there were some folks that still kind of struggled with some of the different things and he would defend his apostleship and he would say, hey, listen, I am the least of the apostles. But then you see in 1 Timothy near the end of his life, he no longer holds to the claim of being the least of the apostles. He now changes to, I am the chiefest of sinners. And it's interesting, when you look at many Christians' life, you see something different than Paul, whereas Paul, as he continued to grow in his walk with the Lord, sin became more offensive and sin became more of a big deal in his life. And yet there are some Christians who 
while they'll never say that they have reached perfection, there are some Christians who honestly say, boy, it's been a long time since I've struggled with sin. And what should be true for the Christian, what should be a normal routine is that we are absolutely grieving more and more over the presence of sin in our life, in our culture's life, in our friend's life. And that should be an absolute normal thing. Now, how or why should we? grieve over sin. We're going to look at just a few things. I know that our time is short this evening, but I think it's important to understand we live in a culture that wants to entertain us with sin. It wants to get us to laugh at sin. It wants us to to take away the shock of sin and make it part of normalcy. It wants to force us into to a place where we have to say we are accepting, we are loving. And sometimes we as Christians, we have gotten kind of off kilter and we've been battling over the wrong things. And we've been battling over things that we shouldn't be battling over and letting some things come in that shouldn't come into our life. Now, I want to stop for a second. This is not grieving over sin in someone else's life. That's easy. It is eternally so much easier for me to be bothered by your sin than it is for me to be bothered over my sin. Because I'm not really that bad of a guy. But you, on the other hand, obviously born in sin. And that's the way we all think. We all have those pet sins, those sins that easily beset us, those things that will come up and grab us. But because they have grabbed us for so long and we're used to them, it doesn't offend us as much as we see it in somebody else. So I don't want you to think, okay, so this is how I'm supposed to hate my, the sin in my husband more. I'm supposed to hate the sin of my children. I'm supposed to hate the sin of my, of my wife or my neighbor. No, this is you grieving, being broken over sin. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll really quickly go through some passages to look at why we should be growing in our grieving over sin. Let's pray. Lord, bless this time. Teach us from your word. Lord, I ask that you would help us to understand what it is that you have for us to take away this evening. Lord, we're all at different stages in life, different things going on, but Lord, I know that you want to draw us closer to you. And Lord, some of us have been sequestered off in our air-conditioned room of eternal security for so long. Lord, we have forgotten the exceeding sinfulness of sin. And Lord, sometimes it only bothers us when it actually affects and we see the effects of sin in our life. And Lord, we we tend to repent over circumstances instead of repenting over sin. Lord, I ask that you would help us to understand and to be grieved as your word teaches us. In Christ's precious name, amen. If you're there in Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to look at a number of different passages here this evening. But the first reason we should grieve over sin is simply because of who our God is. Because of who our God is. In Isaiah chapter 6, he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, now, don't have time to go into lengthy detail of what's happening here, but King Uzziah, while he did not end well, he did do a lot for the spiritual health of the nation of Israel. And so this would have been an upheaval of time. This would have been a time of unrest within the nation of Israel as this leader who has directed them toward God and directed them toward Yahweh has now passed away. And there's a little trepidity that's not not sure what the future is going to bring. And Isaiah says, in the year that I saw King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each had six wings, with twain he covered his face, with twain his feet, with twain he did fly, and one cried unto another and said, holy, holy, holy 
He is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And I've read numerous different individuals who have tried to interpret why it says holy, holy, holy. And that it says, well, it's holy because it's one for each member of the Trinity and different things like that. But understand, in the Bible, especially in the Jewish culture, for something to be repeated, it was something that was meant to grab your attention and say, hey, pay attention to this. And to repeat it twice was a big deal. Do you remember in the Old Testament, verily, verily? We don't talk like that anymore. He said, truly, truly, I say this. Listen, listen. And people oftentimes would respond with amen and amen, meaning, yes, this is a big deal. Well, this is thrice. It says, holy, holy, holy. Holiness is the only attribute of God that is listed this way, that is worshiped this way by thrice mentioning it. You never see love, love, love. You never see righteousness, righteousness, righteousness. You never see justice, justice, justice. You see holy, holy, holy. And our God is so holy. When he sees this, He sees the whole earth being full of his glory. And look at verse 4. It says, The posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. Have you ever gone to an event and been ill-dressed for that event? Has it ever happened to anybody here? Did you ever go someplace and you thought, Okay, this is what's going to happen. I remember one of the first youth activities we went to was a, supposed to be a big youth activity. Where's Dave? You remember that? It was the Army and the Navy. And they said, Hey, your, your team is on the Army, so dress up like the Army. Well, we, we're here in Fort Jackson. We've got everybody here has numerous <laughs> different things uh, that are camouflaged. Back then, we had a number of folks that had BDUs, the old uh, camouflage uniforms. So we came dressing like a paramilitary group. And what this group meant when it said, listen, dress like your team, what they were really saying is, buy one of our green shirts that says Army on it. And we had, what, maybe 20 kids, something about that. And we were in, I was in camouflage pants. I had that brownish, greenish, I don't know what color that is, that drab uh, T-shirt on. And then the BDU uh, coat on the outside. A lot of guys had the caps and we came walking in and people looked around and immediately the teens looked around and saw everybody else in jeans and T-shirts. Some said Army, some said Navy. And all 20 kids looked at me and went, <sighs> and I said, well, maybe we'll win a prize. And, and then the guy that was speaking came up and said, wow, you guys really get into this thing, don't you? And I said, well, yeah, yeah, we, we really do get into it. We are completely, completely not prepared for that. And when Isaiah gets a picture of God, the very first thing he says to himself is he says, I am undone. I am not worthy to be here. This is something that happened to Isaiah, and sadly, this is something that many Christians feel is unique to Isaiah. But it's not unique to Isaiah. You see, understanding who God is, understanding exactly how holy your God is drives us to the realization that we don't have the right to come in. Some of us run into prayer with God. We say, hey, God, would you do this? And we don't even stop to think about the wickedness that we are dragging in behind us as we walk into the throne room of the holy. I don't know if you've ever been in somebody's house that really keeps a really nice house or something like that, and you walk in and all of a sudden realize, "Uh uh-oh, we weren't prepared for this. I, I, I want to make sure, I want to go back and maybe uh, scrub my feet a little bit more, kind of make sure and kick the dirt off them a little bit more, go back to the front of the house, maybe leave the house. I'm not prepared, I'm not ready to be here. And yet so few Christians have ever been brought to the realization of ever seeing God so clearly that they take a step back and say, I don't deserve to be here. Now folks, I am not preaching an experiential type of relationship tonight. 
But understand, experience is part of our walk with Christ. You do not walk by feelings. You walk by the truth of God's word. I'm not saying that you're supposed to go somewhere, lock yourself in a room, and gin up this feeling about how you feel bad, about how sinful you are. That's not what's supposed to happen. You are supposed to study God's word until God's word convicts you of the reality that he is holy and you are undone. And honestly, there's not a whole lot more to say after that, is there? But there's more that we can give examples from God's word of why we should be consistently growing in our grieving over sin. Number one, because of who God is. Number two, and we'll hit these really quickly, Christ expects us to be broken over sin. Do you remember his sermon on the mount in Matthew chapter 5? He said, blessed are they that mourn. He's not talking about the people who are just having a rough time, having a difficult life, having a rough day, had a bad day in traffic, have a bad day at work, or having a bad hair day. He's not talking about the people who are saying, man, doesn't my life stink? He's talking about the people who are broken over sin. The people that are tired of their sin, the people that are broken over the sin of their nation. Not just the sin that has affected them. Everybody feels bad when the lights come on in the car behind you. Amen? We all get that pain inside of us saying, woe is me for I am undone at that point. And when the officer comes up, which by the way, today is Law Enforcement Appreciation Day. How many of you knew that? Why didn't anybody tell me until after the church service started? I did not know that. We have over 10 folks that serve in uh, law enforcement here, and uh, so thankful for that. And I didn't even know that it was Law Enforcement Appreciation Day. So I apologize for not uh, bringing you up here and parading you in front of everybody. And I do, I do ask you to forgive me, but we are thankful uh, for the folks that serve and that minister. And I uh, don't know why that came into my head right then and there, but it did. But uh, what was I talking about? Josh Chandler doesn't know. What was it? Oh, that's right. Getting stopped by the, that's why I thought about the police officer because they've stopped us. We just got caught for speeding. That's when we feel like we're undone. That's when we start to be broken and say, oh no, I can't believe that I did this. Not because we did it, but because we were caught. And Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, not because they're caught, but because they understand the brokenness of their sin. We should grow in our grieving over sin because of who our God is, because Christ expects us to, but also because it's the example that Christ gave us. Look at Matthew 23. One of the few times that we hear Jesus weeping. He wept at the grave of his friend, looking at the brokenness and empathizing with the people that were broken over losing Lazarus. It tells us there in John 11 that Jesus wept. And here's another time. Matthew 23, verse 37, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that killed the prophets and stoned them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and you would not. Jesus was not guilty of the sin, but he was broken over the sin of his country. He said, How much I would have loved for you to have turned from your sin to me, and you would not. And you can, you can hear it in his voice as he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Jesus wept when he thought of the sin of his nation. When is the last time? You know what? I know, I know that all of us, I believe in this room, are against abortion. When's the last time it's broken you? When's the last time that you've wept over the sin of the murdering of human beings? We, we hear that term and we, we sometimes think of it as a political and we don't stop and think about the battle, the struggle 
of sin. When is the last time that we have been broken over the sin that was within our nation as far as the, the, the absolute materialism, the absolute sensuality that is pervasive in our culture? When's the last time that you've been broken over your town, your neighborhood, your state? Jesus wept. It emulates Christ. Christ expects us to. Our God, because he is holy, convinces us to. And then next, we should grow in our grieving over sin because it facilitates growth. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk, not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. The church in Corinth was the exact opposite of growing in their disdain for sin. They were growing in their accommodations to sin. And instead of growing and getting more and more disgusted with the sin that was pervasive in their culture, they were allowing that culture to invade the church. And if there is any church at any time in history that knows exactly what the church of Corinth was going through, it is the American church. Because the times when the American church has changed the society, there was a time when so many people were getting saved that people started voting according to biblical principles and started putting people in place and saying, hey, you know what? The person, if they're going to be a good leader, they're going to be a faithful father. They're going to be a faithful husband. And those times are gone. And on the flip side now, I mean, some of us in this room, we're old enough. Do you remember when it used to stop a politician's political life when they were found to be unfaithful? Can you remember that time? Do you realize that these young people in the room won't even be able to remember a time when that stopped a pastor from going back into ministry? How quickly our nation has fallen. And it has invaded our church and we are trying so hard to bring the world into the church so that we can evangelize them that we've succeeded only in bringing the world into the church and corrupting it. And God says that if we are going to be blessed, we have to mourn. Grieving over sin facilitates growth. What's another reason we should grieve over sin? Well, because sin grieves the Holy Spirit. It's not something that he finds funny. No matter how creative that beer commercial is, he doesn't find it humorous. No matter how entertaining that comedian is that jokes about things of Christianity, he doesn't find it humorous. It grieves his spirit. Ephesians 4 says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Hebrews 3 says, Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said they do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. In Hebrews 3, talking about the children of Israel, it says, with whom he was grieved for 40 years, was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? When we stop and think of what sin did to our Savior, I wonder why we would want to bring it into our life. I grew up in the Detroit, Michigan area. I believe most of you know that. I now drive cars that were made not in Detroit. Do you know at one point in time that would have been a death sentence for a Detroit boy? I remember being at a July 4th downtown Detroit fireworks show. And somebody decided to drive their Toyota to the downtown Detroit public fireworks show. It was 1986. 
First time I saw the Toyota, it was driving in with four people in it. The next time I saw the Toyota, it was on its roof and on fire. And I remember back then thinking, well, they shouldn't have brought that downtown. My initial thought was it was their fault for driving the Toyota into Detroit. Because there was a time when the people that lived here in the United States of America, they, they remembered the war with Japan. For most of us in this room, we don't remember that. It's a history lesson. And there was a time when somebody went to buy something. They didn't look at, well, what was going to be the best car for the value? They were going to say, hey, I'm going to support the red, white, and blue. But then it got to the point where people looked at it and said, well, I've, I've got to be wise with my money. And if I buy this, it's going to fall apart in this amount of time. It's going to take longer for this to fall apart. So I'll buy this. I'll put my money in here. And the idea of not supporting Japan just kind of disappeared. There was a time. You remember when Christians used to boycott sin? I remember sometimes I couldn't even keep up with all the different things that we were boycotting. You're boycotting this and boycotting that and boycotting this. I can remember I got to South Carolina right before. There were still a few gas stations and a few grocery stores that still refused to sell liquor. And imagine going to Tampa, Florida, and trying to explain to people what blue laws were. You couldn't buy what, when? what? And trying to explain to somebody what a dry county is and the different things. And yes, our culture was much more accepting to the Christian way of thought. But understand in our life as Christians, if we're not on guard, sin is going to chip away, is going to chip away to where it becomes an acceptable part of our life. Now I realize that the balance of this, what have we done in the past? In the past, often we have come up with a long list of things to make sure that we don't let sin come up and we miss the boat often because we looked at the list instead of looking unto the author and finisher of our faith. And we would argue over the length of hair and whether or not if you could wear metal-rimmed glasses or if your pants could be bell-bottom or if they could be pegged or how many zippers you were allowed on your jacket how many pockets you were allowed on your pants and we got we kind of got off course and I don't listen don't 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 think that this is an introduction to okay here's the new list I'm not asking for new lists I would love for my wife to give me a list how to be a good husband I will come in and I'll say hey sweetheart do you need some help and she says something that strikes fear in my heart she says yes just look around Because everything looks fine. So I go down, I sit down, I start watching football. And then I realize everything's not as fine as I thought it was. And I must needs again revisit this question, how can I help? Because I don't see things the same way. And just as a husband needs to learn how to see what his wife sees and try to understand, we as Christians need to realize being soaked in sin we must spend time with the Lord in his word in order to understand how to grieve and be grieved over sin. I am not asking you to point a finger to somebody else and say, I am grieved over your sin. I'm asking you, when is the last time that you had a Romans 7 experience? We're going to close by going to Romans 7. Turn your Bibles there if you would. When is the last time that because of the sin in your life, you had this battle that we're going to witness here from the Apostle Paul. This was one of the more difficult verses to memorize and to keep memorized. 
This is one of those passages, if I don't continuously review it, I will lose it. And I have lost portions of it. Because it's easy to get turned around. Look at verse 15. Paul says, that which I do, I allow not. What's he saying? What I see my flesh doing, that's the stuff I know is wrong. And that I would, that do I not, but what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent to the law that it's good. Now then it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. I actually love God's word. I actually am excited about the things that I hear of in God's word. I delight after the law in the inward man, but I see another law in my members. Warring after the law of my mind. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. The pride of life. Indolence. Pride. I see these things warring against me and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Grace Baptist Church, I ask you, when is the last time you have been able to pray this prayer of verse 24? Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me? Now, can I tell you, I've made the mistake of praying that prayer and stopping right there. It is very easy for me to be negative. It is very easy for me to be convinced of what a useless individual I am, but Paul does not stop there. He says, oh, wretched man, who will deliver me from the body of this sin? He said, I can't get away from this. And I read a very interesting thing. There's one commentator that says that sometimes, and this could have been what was in Paul's mind, sometimes one of the punishments, if you murdered somebody and you were convicted of murder, was that murdered individual was attached to you and it rotted away as it was attached to you. And often that person caught different diseases and died from carrying that rotting carcass with them. And as Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this? That that's the picture that he had in his mind. I can't definitively say that, but what an incredible picture. Paul is saying, Paul's not saying, yeah, I struggle a little bit with my mouth. Yeah, sometimes I'm a little prideful, a little independent. Well, yeah, sometimes I I really get angry. You know, sometimes I lust with my eyes. It's, It's a struggle, you know, just like every other normal guy. He says, oh, wretched man that I am. Grace, when is the last time? Not because the lights were flashing behind the car. Not because your poor choices had come to fruition. But because of your time with the Lord, because of your time in his word, you saw the war. And you said, oh, wretched man that I am. And look how he answers. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He knows the answer. He knows who's going to deliver him. And he says, so then with the mind, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And then what does Romans 8 verse 1 look at? Look at it. There is, therefore, now no condemnation. I'm not asking you to walk around and beat yourself with a whip and say, oh, wretched man that I am. But we talked this morning about prayer being directed by the word of God. When is the last time that your sin has driven you to be able to truly, honestly repeat this prayer, wretched man that I am? wretched man that I am. And then to finish, I thank God through Jesus. Lord, I thank you 
that way back, 45 years ago, you started a process that you promised you'd finish. I proved today the process wasn't finished. You still have some work to do, but I thank my God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. And there's no condemnation. I'll never stand in judgment. I'll never stand underneath the wrath of God. I thank you for Christ. Folks, if we're growing in sin, we are growing. If we're growing in the Lord, we are growing in our grief over sin. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Not going to have a come forward invitation, but I want to ask you to individually, I'm going to ask the piano to play in just a moment. I'm going to ask you to do one of two things. If the Holy Spirit can bring to mind a recent time when you were grieving over sin, then I'd like to ask you to spend the quietness of this moment asking the Lord to never let you get over that. But if you can't remember a time when you've been grieved in your spirit over your sin, not your husbands, not your wives, not your children, not your presidents, not your elected officials, your sin. I'd like to ask you in the quietness of this hour, in just a few moments I'm going to give you, say, Lord, help me to mourn. Help me to grieve. Help me to be broken over the sin that is still present. Help me to see you as high and lifted up. Help me to see you as thrice holy. Don't just listen tonight and say, okay, preaching's done, time to go. I want to challenge you either to thank the Lord. If you can remember the last time and it was recent, then thank him and ask him to never let you get over that. But if you can't remember that, then Lord, break my heart over my sin, over my country's sin. Not when I get caught, but when I see it present in my life. In the quietness of the hour, you spend time with your Lord. Mm -hmm.